Going, Nicholas Gruen. How you going, brother? Hi there. Here I am. Laugh again. We fired all our best shots before we even started recording, as usual. But well, that's 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 a relief to me. Try and get them back. (laughs) (laughs) You just making another laugh with this email. You show me this email where you like you just basically skull dragged some poor guy across cyberspace, (laughs) and you called the ideas conceptually flaccid. You, yeah. You, so you're talking about comple- conceptually flaccid management theories. Um, anyway, I just I love that you're doing this because there's a lot of conceptually flaccid stuff out there. Um, you know, particularly man in management and all this sort of stuff where they where they they have these theories that they're not really theories. They're just no, some, they're not theory. A half baked hypothesis, and they've jumped straight no, to like it's not even it a hypothesis. But floating it out into the world. Oh, it'd be a hypothesis yeah. if they were willing to test it in some way. But yeah, off they well, go, they launch it, whatever their idea is, they call it a theory, and it's um. So anyway, yeah. this is a competition, cooperation, polarity. Anyway, jump into it and just uh yeah. Yeah, well, this, I'll read you a passage. Guy, a good, a I'll good read you a passage. Drubbing, drubbing so for, let's for my not worry where it comes from. Let's not worry where it comes from, even though somebody, if they want to take down all the words, can probably Google it up. But this is what it says. Yeah. In the case of the competition cooperation polarity, by the way, this is called polarity theory. Fuck Mm. me. Uh, In the case of the competition cooperation polarity, for example. This is what they've written um, to you. Yeah, the passage. No, no, this is in some book or something. In the case of the competition cooperation polarity, for example, unrestrained competition, in the absence of a larger agreement to play by the rules and cooperate, can quickly devolve into a dog-eat-dog condition wherein defensiveness saps productivity. Conversely, cooperation by itself without the incentive or opportunity for individual excellence or creativity can similarly devolve into groupthink or stifling bureaucratic mediocrity. But when competition and cooperation are brought together in a mutually correcting relationship that provides for both challenge and support, the value creating potential of each side is maximized. Now, that's a perfectly unexceptionable wow. paragraph. It's, it's a like, perfectly it's unexceptionable like paragraph. Meets, meets it doesn't Marxism, give you any insight. It doesn't give you any insight into yeah. the relationship of these two things. It talks about something, it seems very kind of expansive you know this is the sort of thing that where people say well we've gone beyond linear thinking all this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. and it says something that is um just unexceptionable it isn't a you know like the nobody who doesn't know this stuff really uh so i'm comparing that to some observation mm. i mean i don't want to uh, 
I, I'm not saying here do exactly what I'm doing, but to give you any why I reacted to that passage is that this is a passage from someone who's telling telling us that they've got this new theory and they call it polarity theory and it's safe. It's mm. gonna. It's a really great idea, and they haven't thought about what, what can they say about cooperation and competition other than that unrestrained competition isn't great and unrestrained cooperation and sort of pure cooperation and pure competition aren't really the best we want some mix no kidding but mm, mm. Uh, one way one way you can start getting into that and say something that people haven't thought much about is that there is competition and then there is the terms on which that competition takes place and you can further mm -hmm. say that if you want competition then you want private striving you want individual people doing different things and trying to be better than each other competing and then look at this other thing which is the terms on which that competition takes place uh you don't well, look, want is this people. is this what's meant just by, let me finish um, hang on let me let me just let me finish hang on yeah, let yeah. me finish let, let me finish i'm just going to bookmark and flag that come back to it yeah yeah good 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 absolutely you don't and now what i'm saying is something now i'm saying something which actually has a bit of content to it which is that if you want to talk about the terms of the competition that has to be a cooperative discussion and one of the things that's going mm. wrong in the world is that uh take those two expressions for the for the for the uh, the two slogans for the abortion debate, pro-life, pro-choice. What's happening there is that people are trying to slant the terms of the competition. They're trying to slant the terms on which a debate takes place rather than say, oh, yeah. we disagree, we should try to compete to some extent, but we should be agreeing on the terms of our engagements so that we actually, so it might lead not to agreement, but to some enlightenment rather than a cascade of misunderstanding. Um, so, mm. so, so for in competition, you want private individuals doing different things than their best. And when you're thinking about the terms of the competition, that's a public good and needs to be dealt with cooperatively. And that's what's wrong with Twitter and all these other things that that there aren't terms of engagement. There aren't understood terms of engagement. Mm. Everyone's trying to trump everyone else and grab hold of the high ground by the way they frame an issue. So that's something that's worth thinking mm. about. But just saying, oh, well, you, you want to balance between competition and cooperation. No kidding. Now, tell me what your, what your bookmark was, unless you want to go on with this. Oh, my God. I can work my way back, back to it, but then, then you okay. went into abortion. And that just and, and I don't want to talk about I, I don't want to talk on. about abortion. I don't want to talk about the no, 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 but that, that for that example of uh, of yeah. the kind of uh, push pull that you're talking about, you know, it's mm. um it just made me think of um of you know the cancelled comic that I, I don't know if we're allowed to even say his name, but you know Louis C.K. Did you ever yeah. come across him? All right, I haven't come across him, but I'm aware that he's been cancelled recently. Yeah. He was this horrendous yeah. sex pest in the end, so he, he's finished. Yeah. But before he was finished, he 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 said he, his comedy was like he said some awful things. But he he made that I don't know he made that same point you were making there, but in an awful way. Um, uh, uh, with reference to abortion, when he said, um, you know, abortion is either 
murdering baby like his when he was saying this is my opinion about abortion that it's either murdering babies or it's just like going to the toilet um but only one of those two things so yeah that's yeah. how he expressed yeah. it you know he, I mean, yeah. through a joke he he sort of made clear that 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 insane sort of polarity uh, <laughs> this uh this weird polarity well in which case in which and case if you're going to have a debate if you're going to have a debate with I mean, it's one of the reasons why i don't really like debating abortion i don't have strong views on it but um i don't like it but debating it for precisely that reason that it's really about the way people see things and i think they it can legitimately be right. seen in two very different ways so what do you i, I can't so, debate it because it's women's business you know way it's women's business so it's none of my fucking business like well, I, 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 I can't i can't have an opinion about that anyway I can't have an opinion about that because that belongs to women. That's for women to sort out, um, which I guess is an opinion. Well, 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 and which is, a, and not only that, not only that, but which is a framing, which is a framing. It's a framing, which is also like, I don't know. It's a way that I can express a frame, but then uh, express an opinion without expressing an opinion, without being held accountable. Well, for you it. Get so it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite ways to avoid accountability just, or engagement. Just slip the tackle. Yeah. Just slip the tackle. That's it. So this brings us back to this. Uh, so competition and cooperation. So the, what we were talking about before, I mean, maybe what it's in this term, mutually correcting relationship that this follows used here. You know, hmm. so this idea that there's a mutually correct correcting relationship between competition and cooperation, that when that happens, then that sort of uh, creates value creating potential, which, you know, oh, my God, yeah, don't we true. all want that? I don't want to disagree. Um, so, it's I mean, does that mean, so that, is there kind of like a, a regulatory feedback loop happening, you know, so that there's like a competition and that's getting out of control, but then the need for cooperation somehow creates a negative feedback loop and regulates it and takes the temperature down but then as soon as everybody gets too like uh you know lovey-dovey and a motivated then all of a sudden uh the, the competition's kicked back in again and somehow there's this freaking equilibrium going on and doesn't that just sound like the same old crap that's been coming out hmm. of game theory that's been coming out of i mean neoliberalism neoliberal theories since 19 freaking 38 i think they started playing around with that crap um 38 France, well dated yeah. well dated it was at the walter lipman colloquium that's where, it that's, that's it, it. That's, people that's don't the know that it's that freaking old written, and people say it's not even people say it's not even true like it's not even a real thing it's just something that lefties call something else and that it's not even a real force in the universe but i tell you it certainly bloody is um yeah and, and i tell you they that school has the whole discipline of neoliberalism. The reason for its amazing success is because it doesn't have this polarity. It it has so many. It embraces so many different theories. It's oh, Chicago school, come in. You know, Austrian, come in. Whatever you want, every school will will embrace it as long as it's all coming towards the same bloody thing, which is disenfranchising every goddamn human being on the planet. Um, hmm. You know, they, they they embrace lots of different theories. And they don't really, they're not really arguing too much about it. I mean, they did a bit in 38, but as far as I can see, they didn't really after that. They were quite happy well, to just bring everybody to the table and hear all the stories and just take what bloody worked uh, in different situations and different um, uh, contexts. It became very context dependent and they were able to pivot. They were able to be actually agile and kick ass in the world to the point that they now run shit.
um, mm. you know, from very humble origins. Anyway, so maybe they're the ones who have sorted out this uh, polarities business and uh, in ways that aren't conceptually flaccid. No, well, they, what they did was we they need to start came up. To neoliberals. What's that? Maybe we need to start talking to neoliberals and find out the. Well, I, I, I recommend, I recommend it because I was just, um, uh, in fact, you and I first met uh, on a panel uh, with um, the RSA stewardship of country. Yeah. And at the end of my presentation, I read out the words of Frederick Hayek in his the first meeting of the Mont Pelerin Society in 1947. So Frederick Hayek went to this thing called the Walter Lippmann Colloquium in Paris in 1938, and then World War II intervened, and then he got back on the campaign. And by 1947, he'd raised the funding to invite the right-leaning... Uh, economists, social philosophers of Europe and America to Mont Pelerin. And he said to them there at the meeting, we must make the building of a free society, his definition of a free society, once more an intellectual adventure, a deed of courage. What we lack is a vision which does not spare the susceptibilities of the mighty, which is not too severely practical, and which does not confine itself to what appears today as politically possible. I think that's a fantastic formula for wow. trying to build an in, uh, trying to build a kind of a core of understandings, and then trying to and then of course Hayek had this nice expression, which is that he was trying to pedal this to the second hand the peddlers of second hand ideas. He wanted to. Uh, impress <laughs> the newspaper columnists, the second tier of, acad of academics. Uh, these people he was working with were top tier academics, uh, but he'd already marginalised mm. John Maynard Keynes from this group because John Maynard Keynes had his own ideas about what a new kind of liberalism might look like. And there were a number of people in the Mont Pelerin Society who wanted Keynes to be there. Um, and Hayek wasn't having a bar of that. And so he managed to put this thing together. And essentially the idea is, um, in retrospect, I suppose, is that, that well, I, I, Hayek was fairly um, explicit about it. And I think it has to be, I don't want to, I mean, if you say these things today, everyone thinks how evil, but, um, you know, after the insurrection in, the US and so on, who knows, but uh, Hayek said that Hayek's view was, and these most many of the people in this group, their view was freedom, uh, certain ideas of freedom uh, turn out to be more useful for quite wealthy, well-positioned people than other people, but ideas of freedom are uh, that, that a free country, it would be great if it was democratic, but if you have to choose the two things, go for freedom, not for democracy. And um, mm. that's kind of, that's, so they basically tried to, uh, well, the market is their friend in that circumstance. And then they're saying, well, whenever you have an issue, uh, so for instance, Milton Friedman would argue that, yes, 
the discrimination against black people in the United States where you couldn't even get served in shops and stuff, that was bad. He didn't support it, but nor did he support governments outlawing it. He wanted the market to fix that up because uh, businesses that served black people, businesses that employed black people would have an advantage over businesses that didn't. Well, anyway, uh, I don't think that's a very, I, I don't think much of that. Um, not many people do these days, I don't think, but uh, it was very much, we mustn't allow government to do anything much because we've got this other mechanism, which is the market. And if people are upset, let's see if we can work that out in the market. So I recall that Royal Society panel we were on. It took me a minute, but yeah, I think that was um, that was where I got all excited and I, I wanted to start talking to you. And we had lunch after that. We did because I thought I thought you were like an Australian Don Quixote on a mission to civilize, <laughs> and I wanted to audition for the role of your donkey. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be you don't want to be S Sancho Panza. Well, you can. Yeah, look, no, I'm, I'm maybe, not, maybe we'll I'm be there donkey. Yet. I'm not there. Give me another couple of years and I'll go for Sancho. Right now I'm a donkey. Um, but that's okay. The donkey in Shrek is my favorite. Yeah, I, I rec so I recall that that was what you cited there. Do you remember the text that I cited in that thing about stewardship of country? No. Well, I, I cited like a, a, a very important Western law text um, for the concept of what a steward is. And that was the oh. Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. You remember yeah. I did an impression of the steward of Gondor from Lord of the Rings? Not only very vaguely. Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. And so I propose that, uh, like, like, just like the steward, like a steward is somebody who looks after the throne uh, while the royal family gets their shit together and produces a new heir. You know, right. and the, so yeah. basically, you know, if you're going to be stewards of country, then you're going to be just uh, uh, looking after the place um, yeah. and to, until we're able to get our sovereignty back. Uh, so anyway, mm. that's how that's I proposed that anyway. My, but the only text I could come up with to, to cite for that was Lord of the Rings. So um, I don't know. I don't think you enjoyed that very much. I did the full impression. It's a it's a terrible scene. He's like he's doing terrible things to cherry tomatoes while he's eating and he's spitting oh, stuff he everywhere. And he's well, there you are. he ends up like trying to burn himself alive. He he does burn himself alive. He's insane. So you know you got to look out for this. There's pitfalls in this steward role. Was my point. Um, anyway, I'm getting off track. We were at the um, <laughs> at that email. So any any final thing? I guess we, we we're still struggling with this dialectic. We're not struggling with it, but we're um, we having a little struggle session. Well, I tell you, well, I, I ran to keep into coming back to that theme, bro. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You mentioned the word dialectic. Um, I was reading something yesterday about a one of my favourite philosophers, a guy called R. G. Collingwood, which is also handy because I barrack for Collingwood. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, this was an article which was refer. It wasn't by Collingwood, but it was referring to a book of his which I will hold up to the microphone. Uh, it's called The New Leviathan. And he, in it, he distinguished between two ways of arguing, two kinds of dialogue. And he mm. referred to these, and they come from, and, and he, go, he cites these things from back to Plato. And he talks about heuristic dialogue or heuristic disagreement and dialectical disagreement. Mm. And the difference is that in heuristic 
are in heuristic disagreement, two people each try to persuade the other that they're, or each argue that they're right and the other is wrong. Hmm. And uh, then you end up with a kind of a victor. And then dialectic is something quite different. And it's modeled on Socrates, who basically. Yeah, I was just going to say that the Socratic people, dialectic is completely different. So he sort of asks people to uh, explain their position and gradually leads them to an impasse where they sort of realize they don't know what they're talking about, which is roughly what I was. That was roughly my claim about Mr. Mr. Polarity Theory. Uh, and they don't know what they're talking about. And then, then Socrates' response is not, oh, well, you're a lucky guy because you've met someone who does know what he's talking about. Socrates will then mm. say, yeah, look, this is a real problem I've got too. And so what happens there? And here we've got this competition and cooperation story coming back. Mm. because But he, leaves, in the he one, brings everybody, just, including himself, into uncertainty. Well, yes, into the impasse. They all, mm. We all get to the impasse. So we all together. it undermines it undermines our all of our certainty, and then together we may not end up at the, exactly the same place, but together we start to try and get to thinking better. We start to try and to get to a better way to see things. Meanwhile, over here, you just have two people who started the conversation, spent the whole conversation staying where they were. Uh, rehearsing how they're better than the other person and they either win or they lose mm. or usually they have to agree to differ and nothing has happened. Nothing has fucking happened. I prefer the Socratic, over here, I prefer the Socratic method, but I also feel and, like it's... it's and it, over it here, like you've got people feels like grooming are, to me. What's that? The Socratic method feels like grooming to me sometimes and, and considering uh, historically his proclivities, it, it's, it's, it's possible. But that's all I see when I look at Foucault as well. Is that half of the half of their theories and half of their, their, well, so, their so, techniques Foucault's and heuristics not very Socratic. always seem like things they've developed as grooming methods to try and get young boys into their bed? That's just oh, a, well. and try and talk young fellows out of their trousers. That, that, that's what it yeah. all seems like to me. It's like well, okay, well, go if you like. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's that's my theory. My theory is that all these old dudes were pederasts, and that half of the uh, half of the theories that people are built and the heuristics that, that people are building their stuff on is uh, well, is basically well, they might. Yeah, well, they might or they might not, but they've come upon a way to converse with each other that's productive rather than reductive. And that's yes. what, you know, that's the only way we're going to get anywhere. We're, and so mm. we get back to competition and cooperation, which is that we, we a conversation has a, has a cooperative core. And if it's mm. purely competitive, it has not, it doesn't achieve anything. The two people going into it and leaving it are yeah. exactly the same as before. Um, so, so they haven't done any business together. So that's the difference, I think. And um, I think it was a very powerful yeah. idea. And, and, and I'll say something more, which is that um, a lot, we have a lot of debate which begins with definitions, you know, pro-life, pro-choice. So then the whole debate is a kind of a positioning exercise, trying to get the upper hand given the sentiments of the people around. And the alternative is to try and notice something about the way we do something that isn't as we describe it to ourselves. 
And then you're on to something because then you can look at it and you can say, well, how should we describe that? Um, and then you can, you can, anyway, that's what, that's the way I try and do economics. Almost nobody else does it that way, yeah. but, 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 um, yeah. uh, you know, I managed to come up with some quite cool things about the internet, just noticing that the internet is a place where public goods are burgeoning and they're privately provided. So Wikipedia is a public good, open source software mm. is a public good. Facebook and Google are public goods, even if they're the service they provide is a public good, even though they're funded by advertising. Well, there's lots of interesting things to come out of that that are not that economists are not. I won't bore you with those ideas unless you want me to right now. No, but but I am more interested in processes. Like but I know What's your that? process there. The, the, I know your methodology that you just referenced, that things you noticed. You, I yeah. know your methodology yeah. you've described in my previous yarns is just basically oh, have I? you're you're a, you're just a, a man in the world walking around noticing shit. And that, that's well, that's your, that's, that's your Jerry entire Seinfeld. that's your method. That's, that's Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Says, <laughs> you know that line? Have I given you that yeah, line before? Walking around. He says, "Girls, do you want to know what we're thinking? <laughs> we're not thinking anything. We're just walking around, looking around." Well, yeah, that's yeah. that's the way. That's how it's to just, start something. Yeah, that's your your methodology. It should just be called you know Gruen noticing shit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, noticing and then trying to build and then saying, is that thing, I mean, just noticing something can hang in the you can hang in the back of your mind for 10 years and it doesn't amount to anything. It's just, you know, if you notice that people call something a red rose and it's really a pink rose or something like that. And then, but but some of these things that you notice, you then think, well, hang on, I can take that a lot further. I can start thinking about... Mm. Uh, I can start, to, so, so, so I can give you an example of this. Um, in economics, uh, people who study economics at university learn that there's a trade-off between efficiency and fairness. Mm. Now, why is there a trade-off between efficiency and fairness? Well, only because um, if you have perfect fairness, if you define it as equality of everyone gets exactly the same income and gets treated exactly the same way, it's pretty easy to believe that people won't strive to do something particularly theirs. Mm. But that's totally different to saying that in the world that we're in now, if we make it more equal, will which is where there's lots of inequality, if we make it more equal, will it make it more productive or less productive? Well, of course, mm. it depends on the way you do it. Anyway, my point is that there's no observation in any of that. What you're observing is a a completely artificial world of uh, a world where you say, um, well, let's say that it, it, it's a world where the market is just producing stuff. And then you say, well, if you constrain the market, it will have a cost. Well, that's mm. all you've achieved all that by definition. That's the mm. way you've set it up. You haven't observed anything. You haven't mm. said, look, I've observed these places where when they try and make a workplace fairer, it gets less productive. Yeah, they're assuming a causal relationship, like this freaking seesaw. Compare this. They're so assuming this there's a seesaw way. in between these things that mutually go up and down. So this is but no. so here is an so here is another way to get at the same question, mm. uh, and it doesn't give you the answer to all. It's just a totally different way to set up the core of the question. Mm. Look at a queue forming at a bus stop. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is, a, that is a human institution par excellence. Mm. 
-hmm. Everyone in the queue's got a little thought bubble. And what does the thought bubble say? It says, I'm in a queue. That's because I need to get on the bus and we all need to get on the bus. I'd better not push in. They'd better not push in. Everyone's thinking the same thing. And this is a miraculous, you know, chimps don't queue up. Chimps don't do lots of things. So mm. these are extraordinarily human things that we're doing. Now, imagine if somebody says, um, they'd better not push in, I can duck in there. Mm. Well, what happens then is that it's quite, that will degrade the efficiency of the queue. So in fact, the efficiency of the queue, that, so the efficiency of the queue is built on the fairness of the queue yeah. because it's because the buy-in of the people in the queue is built on the fairness of the queue. That's so transactional. That's so transactional and so game theoretical. And, and I think it's the problem with economics is that approach to things. Yeah. See, from no. my, my point of view, and, and look, here's the thing, your methodology, you, you're looking at shit, noticing shit, different people notice different shit. So here's where yeah, dialogue absolutely. comes in and dialogue, there's your Socratic dialectic that's that's really important. But look, my from my point of view with this same thought experiment, this same problem is that, um, um, uh, what are the two things uh, offsetting each other again? Sorry, uh, oh, that's it, fairness and efficiency. All right, so yeah. fairness, fairness depends on relationships. Yeah. Okay, relationships don't scale. Mm. very well yeah. so as, yeah. as as your institution scales up your relationships become more porous uh and less connect less connective you know as you go along yeah. therefore fairness can't be guaranteed therefore fairness falls apart it has absolutely nothing to do with the efficiency itself whether that's increased or decreased you know what i mean so these things aren't even connected they just it's just uh, it's just a function of scale and how well, relationships how relationships do not scale very well in massive institutions so you you cited a queue there yep and a queue down at the bus stop that those are relationships in a small group that are transparent and that's going to work well it's very different from a bread line in moscow you know yeah um once yeah. you scale that shit up, it. that's dog eat dog then it becomes a game theoretical fucking uh proposition um then you get your multipolar traps the fucking tragedy of the commons bloody blah and on we go yeah well that's true um I was saying, yeah, okay. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is that the uh, that is a if you want some general observation about the relationship between equity or or fairness and efficiency, that one that I've suggested is a, is a building block, a starting point, which is empirical, mm. and the other one is not empirical at all. The other one mm. is completely abstract. Mm. Um, but it's uh, but I'd, I'd also on the question of scale, um, when I look at what upsets people about their workforce and in large workforces, the most large workforces are a bit of a train wreck. Mm. And what upsets them most is unfairness, uh, but but also inefficiency, actually, just sort of stupidity when they get yeah. told to do something and they can see that what needs to be done is over here, but mm. they're not being but they're not going to be respected enough. Mm. For them to take an hour off and do what they really need, what really needs to be done, because mm. they're being managed in a million ways. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same idea, which is that buy-in, people buying into these structures, is terribly important mm. from the inside. In, mm. And and that's a point about scaling. 
that one of the reasons scaling things don't scale very well is that once you scale, you tend to build explicit. Um, uh, you tend to build ex you you know explicit rule based uh, a, a formal approaches, and uh, the world can't be contained within those mm. things. There is an efficiency trade off dichotomy that happens in um that's I've noticed in computing. Uh, I found it when I was messing around with evolutionary computing and trying to breed uh -huh. alg algorithms. But the trade off yeah. is that um uh, the more efficient an algorithm is or a system is the less yeah. complex complex it, it can be the yeah. less, yeah. less well, diverse slash complex it can be so you yeah. need you know for efficiency you need simplicity you know and and yeah. they, so they're talking to me uh, the 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 when i was first introduced to the idea it was introduced with a racing camels um method so if you're breeding racing camels then you're going to want it to be fairly aerodynamic so you want to reduce the size of the hump but at the same time oh, right. if he doesn't have enough hump you're going to die in the desert you know, so there's yeah, always yeah, that trade-off, yeah. you know, yeah. that trade-off with yeah. the efficiency and speed um, and then the complexity of, of the beast. Um, so that's the thing. So I do know, and I think that's that's a fairly good, I think that's a law of nature that you find you can find in computing and in everything is that there is always that trade-off between efficiency and complexity. And so I think if you're looking at fairness and social justice as something that occurs in, the, the, like the, the, in natural systems, you know things are just distributed and they like it just it just happens yeah. you can't yeah. you don't end That's up right. with things being hoarded in one spot and all that kind of stuff things just get distributed there's movement in yeah. a healthy system um yeah so I think the idea of fairness and equality I, I think that's just a natural state for a system and I think that just happens with complexity a system that is complex will will have a, a kind of a, a distributive sort of model going on yeah, well, we'll have a bunch of simple things in it. It'll and therefore, it's not going to be very fucking efficient for extraction. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you want to extract from that system, you have to reduce the complexity of that system. You have to uh, you you have to basically create entropy within that system and enclosures within that system in order to make it manageable, yeah. so that you yeah. can maximize yeah, well, the efficiency of extraction. You undermine buying. That's another way to put it. Yeah. Uh, you people just don't people know they're getting then they're getting ripped off they're getting disrespected and um this is something good old adam smith the founder of modern economics said that slavery looked like the cheapest form of labor but was in fact the most expensive mm -hmm. because the slave has no incentive to notice something and say oh we could do that better because not only will the not only will all the gain from making it better go to someone else, but they'll probably get a clip over the years for being lazy. Yeah, that's uh, it. So, so the idea of having systems which re, uh, with layers of respect um, is something that he he sort of sketched mm. out in his appreciation of slavery. Yeah. Oh my God. So the, I mean, the, yeah, that, that's just, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you always think about it and you think, man, how would I, what would I do? What would I do? Enslaved? Yeah, to be a slave, what would be your incentive to keep going? And you'd be sitting there trying to think of a motivation oh. to continue. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me give you, let me just read you. Um, 
one of my favorite um, one of my favorite quotes in the whole of Adam Smith. Adam Smith was famously mm -hmm. kind of urbane and um, cosmopolitan, not a very passionate sort of guy. Yeah. And, and now he sort this of exists when, in this weird lib libertarian pantheon at the moment. And he gets elevated by all kinds of weirdos. Yeah, well, that's not the way he thought about human beings. No. But, um, now, you're going to... Uh, so, so just a little bit of preparation. So this is... So William Wilberforce, the guy who kind of um, spearheaded abolition in the United Kingdom, mm. he's in short pants at this time. He's written, he, this guy's writing in 1761. And um, I hope I don't offend you or anyone by using the word savage, because that's how, that's the word he uses. But I'll read you what he says. The other thing I want to tell you is that Adam Smith's first um, job, if you like, his first lectureship was in rhetoric. Mm. What, what does rhetoric do? It. Let's see if I can remember this. It does I love it how you, you introduced that idea with a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> what does rhetoric do? Yeah. Anyway, keep going. It. It persuades. As it. Oh shit! What a. Let me, um, it does three things, which is it persuades, it explains as it delights. It's, yeah, so it it's entertains. It must be. It's, yeah. it's entertaining, but it's very, and, and, and the other thing it that rhetoric aesthetic. does, the other thing that rhetoric does is that it blames vice and praises virtue. Yeah. That's a, that's classical rhetoric mm -hmm. is to speak well of the heroes and badly of the villains and all that sort of stuff it's so like here's the culture passage. wars culture wars without the warfare so here's the passage like, uh, ritualized. And this is, so the here's dance. the passage and smith is very unusual because he's he seems to be one of these people who doesn't have much racism in his body you know like david hume his great friend great philosopher and about 10 years older has some said some horrible things about uh you know natives being stupider and all the rest of it and smith didn't believe that and he thought that um and he thought that uh the 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 way to get rich was to respect people at the bottom and they'll they'll come up with great ideas mm -hmm. anyway this is the passage every savage undergoes a sort of spartan discipline and by the necessity of his situation is inured to every sort of hardship. Fortune never exerted more cruelly her empire over mankind than when she subjected those nations of heroes to the refuse of the jails of Europe, to wretches who possess the virtues neither of the countries which they come from nor of those which they go to and whose levity, brutality and baseness so justly expose them to the contempt of the vanquished. Oh, I wow. Love wow. Uh, that's should pretty definitely I'm, read that out on Australia Day. Like I think a lot of people would cheer. Yeah, yeah, cheer yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'll reasons. send it to you. I'll that's, send that's it amazing. to you and you can set up. It's such a wonderful passage. Yeah, yeah. Such a, 1761. Yeah. 1761. Nobody's talked about abolition, uh, slavery, this industrialized form of 
racial chattel mm. slavery has been going on for a century or more is getting not even talking up. about that he's talking about dispossession and um yeah but so yeah. well uh, and but then yeah. you know this this process of what's happening to um, to these yeah these wretches mm. yeah so a great man uh, but he's getting a bit russo there here look i'll show you another um yeah i'll give you another this is how i'm dealing this is how i'm dealing with the um the dichotomy the russo and hobbes dichotomy i'm doing it with comedy <laughs> very good idea all right so i'm going to read i'm going to read you i don't know I've, I've been messing around with an intro to the book today oh uh, good yeah anyway so i'll read you up into uh, i'll read up until hobbes and and, and 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 russo anyway so you can see how okay. i'm dealing with it all right um this is definitely going to change and this is just how i was playing with it this morning uh, this yeah. book contains this book contains nothing that will save the world. It's basically a list of twelve ways to avoid lists in the Anthropocene. Some jokes and horror <laughs> stories, a few traces of good sense that future alien archaeologists can dig up to discover that not all of us Homo sapiens were greedy bastards. Mostly, I just don't want the word Homo to become a slur again in a thousand years across the entire galaxy. That would be really bad. Also, it's uh, always comforting to know that your smug ghost will be able to drift around a blasted landscape forever, wheezing, I told you so. Maybe you're one of these people who's really into self-help and new age spirituality. Gosh, you're going to be disappointed. Personal development, like development in general, is a combination of the stupidest parts of science and the stupidest parts of spirituality. And I think it's hastened the death of the planet over the last century. But that opinion is just part of my story. Yours is equally important. So I'm happy to find you here, although I'm not gonna be doing any trust falls or breathing exercises with you, sorry. I also won't be holding space for you, whatever the hell that means. Maybe you're one of these people who says that facts don't care about your feelings or the data doesn't lie. I respect you too. Come and sit down, have a cup of tea because we're going to science the shit out of this messed up world right now. And that job is best begun with a yarn around the hearth, as always. Data says nothing without analysis. And analysis is guided by our narratives. So bring your story around the fire here, because we need all our stories to make this analysis work, including yours. You are welcome. Even if you're a toxic, bad faith, murderous, gaslighting piece of shit, you are needed and you are loved. We're on flat country here. No moral high ground to be had. And I'm one of the, no, hang on. Uh, my friends are all here and I respect every one of them. My buddies Hobbes and Rousseau are both here. You know them too? Hobbes said our ancestors had short lives of brutish misery and primitive ignorance. And Rousseau said they were noble savages living in a paradise, but they're together here sitting at the edge of the firelight, scared, confused, and crying as they begin awkwardly kissing. For some reason, they're naked from the waist down like Winnie the Pooh. They'll, anyway, I, I kind of got carried away at it's that It's great. That's so fabulous. I'm I love gonna, it. I gonna, really love it. I'm going to cut it I off. I really love it. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, you should it really weird. keep going with it. So I think there's something... If you wanted to... I, I don't know how you do these things. If you want to send me the draft, I'd love to... I mean, I'll, I'll sort of... Uh, yeah, man, I, cer I certainly will. Because there's, okay. there's heaps of Nicholas I there. Fabulous. I just I need to finish up the. I've just got another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to do another chapter. Um, our our yeah. chapter, the one that we did together, it's just yeah. the, the business isn't finished, and we're going to finish it in this yarn here today. Well, 
Yeah, um, all right. Well, but I just want to we're going to push it in this year. Not the, 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 well, okay. Yes, there's a Socratic dialectic, okay? But but there, yeah. I think I'm proposing a, a Yunkaportic dialectic. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Which involves. You've got to get like, your branding out there, Tyson. Got to get the branding out. Everybody's going to take the piss <laughs> out of each other and have a good laugh together. Yeah. You've got to be able yeah. to laugh at yourself, and then yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. then out of the laugh to just see what's left. See, see yeah. what's see the bits that are left. Um, I, yeah. I think I think there has to be some kind of comedic scrutiny in here, because yeah. the Stoics are almost there. The new Stoics, they're all obsessed with um, with like steel manning each other's position. So you know, for that, I would have to come over and argue your point as Nicholas, in order to understand and what they call inhabit your position. So they they do they do all this uh, Stoic stuff, all this Marcus Aurelius shit. And um, mm. and that's pretty cool, but you know what? They're not very funny. Stoics are, yeah. are fucking boring, man. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. It's awesome to talk to them because you never feel too threatened, um, and you feel loved, and quite yeah. held, <laughs> yeah. and you actually come yeah. up with some yeah. um, you know productive stuff. Yeah. But it's not yeah. much fun. Yeah, look. Yeah, I've been long hats. Yeah, so this is what ended up the, the how the boomerang ended up. It lost. Yeah. It lost a lot of. Uh, lost. Uh, lost a lot of mass. But there's a yeah, solid core through there. There's a yeah. solid core through there of what. Um, I don't know. I've been honing in my conversations with you, which is kind of like a. It's a disdain for that flaccid. What did you call before flaccid? Concept. I described a passage as conceptually flaccid. Conceptually flaccid. All right. I. I want. Uh, I. I want. I want. I want conceptually turgid. I want, I want, not, not I want fully um, tumescent. Well, well, I'm not sure we fully yeah, tumescent. Exactly. Concept. Conceptual. <laughs> so you need conceptual tumescence. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, that's where, that's, you I, see, so I, the so comedy I, but, is the detumescence. Ah, I think it's the detumescence of the, um, of bad faith. And I think well, comedy, as you know, we saw our first comedy strips everything back, and then you've only got good faith left. And maybe that's what I've done here with this boomerang. I've laughed my way through smashing the edges of the uh, of the Enlightenment and the Age of Reason, and I'm happy with what's left as potentially going yeah. forward. And part of it is, I, th I think, part of the scientific method. I'm, I'm I'm really into quite a lot of the scientific method. I like the idea of the, that kind of general skepticism. Um, and the stuff that can burn through people who just make shit up, you mm. know, because you don't want to be in a position where you never, ever believe anything that isn't hasn't already been proven by somebody at an early sure. date. Well, you especially know? if so you, you don't want to jump out there. of a plane with a parachute. But you also don't want to be a credulous prick that's going along to a bloody um, a, a, a an integral theory coaching seminar, you know, at, a, at some corporation you know, with a, a $500 a plate bloody dinner or something like that, and just swallow this, this, this entire, you know, gammon theory hook, line and, sin and sinker, you know what I mean? So you, there's, mm. I don't know, so I kind of, I, I like that, the idea that there is this scientific rigor, that there is this testing, that there is this commitment to, no, well, I'm not just going to accept at face value that there's turtles all the way down. I want to have a good look first. So I like that. I've, I've kept a few other things, um, you know, as, 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 but you, you can look in that last episode for that, where I'm talking with Jamie wheel, um, a fair yeah. bit and, um, yeah, but it was the bit that I really wanted to talk to you about was this, uh, how I just arbitrarily cut off the entire Magna Carta 
but it was and just out the of Magna pure, Carta? there it is there oh so and why is the that piece. the Magna Carta well it was just because of our last yarn we were talking uh -huh. about the Magna Carta you were particularly talking about the jury system and with uh, yeah. Jamie Will yesterday I was talking about the um the idea of the um uh that everybody comes under the law that nobody's above the law that that concept mm. even in the divine mm. right of kings no man's above the fucking yeah. law um yeah that's pretty cool in the magna carta but so you know it wasn't very good that i arbitrarily cut it off but i couldn't see there was too much okay there's worm you see this wormhole in there yeah that wormhole yeah. and that rot that goes right through that piece that's right through it's the beautiful gutter. wood what it sort is of wood beautiful is it? and i could cut that what? off but it's going to make the whole boomerang weak so what I, it's um uh, so it, it's a kind of, it's this kind of acacia. Uh, it's it's not Gigi, yeah, but it's yeah, close. Yeah, it's, it's not mulga. Yeah, yeah. It's not Gigi, but it's close. Um, it, yeah, it's beautiful. a it's a particular species that you get out uh, Will Kenya and Cohen Way. Uh, so it's from way out there. I was really lucky yeah. to get a good bit of that. But this bit yeah, that I've cool. cut off, I, I cut it off and I didn't discard it. I mean, yeah. here's democracy, by the way, from the other end. I don't know if you want that as well. I could send you that bit. Sure. If <laughs> you want to give it to me. I thought, yeah, no, I'm going to make this into a message stick for Nicholas. I could do yeah. two. You could have the democracy end as well. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, uh, but they're both, they're, they're related because of your proposition about using the jury system Absolutely they are. Magna Carta for, um, you know, Absolutely. Um, for democracy. For so the, I figured that for those the two cooperative, For the cooperative part, lovely. For the cooperative part of our society, we get people at random and we say, you are the society uh, and you're helping us work out the terms of our cooperation so that we can also do things differently to each other, subject to rules that represent all of us. Sweet. Well, look, if you're prepared to accept these as blank message sticks, blank yes. except for their topic, and and yeah. the lim limited amount that i know then I'll that's going to feel better you. about it because most of the thing I, I cut it away and i discarded the sawdust the shavings the big chunks that i cut off and i discarded them or threw them on the fire um but these no, bits no, i didn't I, want to chuck them i thought no 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 these, no. i'll keep these for nicholas um because yeah. i'm well, not rejecting I'm, I'm them it's just it's just they, they, they're going to be used for something else i think i mean anyway I'm and uh this in the end became a, a comeback boomerang which i hardly ever make comeback boomerangs so yes, I know. You I heard you describing that yeah. to uh, to your Mr. Wheel. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to post that one off to it him. It is a beautiful thing. It is and a then, beautiful but thing. But I'm, I'm also going to spend a bit of time uh, with the remainder of my week making up these uh, lovely message sticks for you, Nicholas. And then Fantastic. You, yours to, you can put all the things into them of what's going to work. Because uh, cool. I think you're into the business end of things. So I think it's cool that I cut the business ends off that boomerang. <laughs> the business ends that made it into a big war boomerang, I cut them off and I've like basically emasculated it down into this comeback boomerang, which is basically a toy. But you get to keep, you get to keep the, the business end. Yeah. Just the tip, cool. just the tip, Nicholas. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and 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 we'll see, we'll see what, uh, <laughs> we'll see what goes on with that. Anyway, I'm gonna, no. I'm gonna make some out of that and I'll, and I'll send them to you in the next week. Well, it's fantastic um so um we should have a conversation at some stage about uh whether you should be thinking about what you're doing with it as a, as science or whether you should be thinking of it more like uh 
from the point of view of how would a sporting coach coach a team to do as well as it can, which is not science. I mean, science comes into it, but science is just. Well, I think I just I think I need to be I think I need to be honest. I need to be honest about what I'm doing because I think that's um it's useful. Yeah. I that, think I need and, to be and honest I think about what I'm doing, and I don't think I should be trying to tweak it or dress it up as something that it's yeah, not. Exactly. I think exactly. I need to be I need to be but honest that's not about science. um about yeah, the, that's the kind one of, side of some. Yeah. So science yeah. So science doesn't work very well in thinking about people. Of course, it has anything you're trying to do has to be reality based. So I'm not suggesting you're not reality based. A coach of a yeah. football team is reality based, but the science part of it is a small part. And then the question, and and there's um, the thing about science is that science pr- typically the methods of science typically presuppose that reality is out there and we're in here, and in the human world. Yes, reality's out there, but we are part of the. But everyone is in a reciprocal relation of being part of the reality for each other, which is actually the core of Adam Smith's first book, as you will know, called The Theory of Moral Sentiments, where he talks about us. Well, he uses this term sympathy, but this is oh, nice an read, read back to Adam Smith there. That was deadly. Well, I'll send you a few essays that I've written. I've written an essay called. I don't know whether I've told you about it before. It's called. Adam Smith is to markets as Jane Austen is to marriage. And, um, <laughs> and I'm quite serious about it because what uh, he's saying uh, is, what he's saying is in exactly the same way that Jane Austen, Jane Austen isn't saying to his, her readers, go and get married and you'll live happily ever after. She's saying marriage is an honourable estate. If you bring your best self to, to marriage and you are with someone else with the same intention, you will have a better life together. Mm. And Adam Smith saying something similar about markets. Uh, and, and, and he's quite, and, and the, anyway, the building block of life, according to, of, of human life, according to Smith, is this notion of sympathy, but we can't even hear that word without it making Over us- the helicopters. Well, with, we can't hear that word sympathy without it making us feel rather sentimental. And he actually means it as much as a method of cognition. How do I know how Tyson's feeling? I have to I have to imagine myself in his position because that's all I have. It's not a great way mm. to know what Tyson's thinking. It's just the only way no. to know what Tyson's no. thinking. We it's are just, it's that, just empathy. And I keep saying empathy's training wheels for people who don't know how to relate yet. So he's trying to build a, an idea, he's trying to build a I won't call it a science of humanity, although he would have called it a science, but well, not a science, but um, he called it, that's kind of a moral philosophy, he would have called it, but uh, it's not the science that got us to the moon and back. Uh, This is thinking about human beings being a human being. One is a human being, one is thinking about human beings. They are out there, but they're also relating to us. And this is a this is a construction of mutual relation. Mm. And uh, that is, anyway, that sounds no, all I very... Mean, I, no, but I love, I love how that feeds into, like right from the start, randomly with that email that we picked, it's, it's, it's ended up making us grapple with this dialectic again. And look, Go this ahead. finishes it off but with, it, with the idea. I, I tried to find the bit uh, that I was writing uh, to describe um, what it is that I'm doing, you know, with the, this mm. work, with these books and everything. 
Um, like you said, you asked me, you know, so, and, and I was saying, yeah, I just don't want to lie about what it is. I don't want to call it science. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, you know what I mean? Well, that but is at the same time, I... I want to do that with real, as much scientific rigor as a novice can muster. And I want to yeah. bring, I want to bring everyone else with me. I want to bring everybody yeah. else along yeah. for that ride of yeah, yeah but. It's like, you know, fuck yeah. this yes and. I'm sick of yes and. I want more people going, yeah, but, and having a good look yeah. and having a good sniff yeah, around yeah, yeah. and not just to win some points in a goddamn debate. You know, yeah. we're, yeah, we're yeah. all idiots, except. So you're, anyway, you're so shooting... I'm going to read this to you. Yeah. Because it, okay. it brings it back to the dialectic and the opposites. It is a masterclass in yeah. some sort of, in, is that what you're talking about? That's it. I'll read it out to you. Yeah, go. So, you uh, read it. This is how I'm describing the book. It's a masterclass in some sort of indigenized hipster pop science I've fallen ass backwards into over the last few years. It makes sarcasm into an art form in which we perform skepticism in order to highlight our faith, play yeah. the disruptive trickster to foster stability, yeah. mourn yeah. the end to celebrate the beginning, and then randomly mash together opposite ideas in order to foster the illusion of ancient wisdom. <laughs> and maybe that's, that's cool. all a dialectic is, is randomly so, mashing opposite ideas together in order to seem wise. Maybe, so, maybe there's no such okay. thing as two ways, both ways, you know, um, third culture, uh, cultural interface, all of this stuff, the dialectic, maybe it's all bollocks. Yeah, yeah. So... Go on, if you haven't already, go. you can get it on YouTube. Go and watch the mm. last five minutes of Casablanca. Same thing. <laughs> you, you always tell me to do this. Oh, have I? Have I done yeah, that yeah. before? No, it's, yeah, yeah. you have. And, yeah. um, and, yeah. and, uh, because, and I do always I do mean, it. YouTube's, YouTube's helpful. But I love I'm, it I'm just, because... I'm just, I'm just suggesting that perhaps the dialectic, Hegel, everything else, maybe that was the original conceptually flaccid management heuristic. Well, it was. It was. Yeah, I've already told you. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I've already told you that Hegel said uh, uh, that he uh, late in his life that he never really understood his own philosophy till he read it in French translation. I think that's so funny because he's so. Awesome. He's just so. Oh, yeah. It's like you're being. It's like you're in a big smoke filled, yeah. dark box and you've got no idea what's going on. But I, I, uh, no, I look, I, but I, that. no, that's good. But I want to say, I want to say, Tyson, you're shooting high, and I absolutely want to salute that because most people would be think would be looking at their metrics, seeing what tweets get most retweets, uh, thinking of their audience, thinking of you know, uh, thinking of their publisher, and you've got you're you're trying to do something much harder and much better than that. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm auditioning like, for like, like, you know, uh, uh, donkey, yeah. like Nicholas, well, you won't ever donkey do it. I'm auditioning for the role of the donkey. So I got to, and you, and you won't ever do it into perfectly this and, and you won't ever do it perfectly. And amen to that, because it means that you're really, you, whenever you, you, you know, you, you, anyway, I think it's fantastic. And, um, you, you, that's a, that's a voice. When you go, people will honestly be able to say, uh, we will not see his like again. I haven't seen this sort of stuff. Uh, Have you? I haven't seen this kind of writing from Indigenous people. Uh, is there any? Give me some other names. Um, well, the, I don't know. I'm no expert. Writing, I'm, no I, expert. I'm, I'm not aware of any. I'm not in, uh, aware of any kitchen table in an Indigenous household 
um that doesn't have that doesn't have this voice around it <laughs> that doesn't have this way yeah yeah like yeah this, yeah uh, i can agree with that the, the i can agree with that going on yeah but yeah yeah, yeah. Where, where we don't have it is in our middle classes and you know yes, unfortunately yes, those yes, of us who yes. get to write are yeah uh, yeah have quite an investment in in being middle yeah. class and and in the middle so, class yeah yeah of course the of project course. Uh, the, the middle class project um so so, so, so one know, of the things we tend to lose that and we're, we're scared that we're going to lose our position why wouldn't we because we don't have any fucking capital it's just that yeah, i don't even yeah. care and i'm i i just know that i mean you know i'm, I'm just not that uh i'm not that interested in life to to the point where i i care too much about having capital in a few years i don't know what the fuck i'm going to be doing and whether i'm even going to be here in a few years yeah. so i'm just yeah, i don't yeah. even care i just do whatever so it's not so, admirable uh, it's, now, just a, it's a carelessness it's not coming out of anything you know it's not coming any did you, out did of you any say ideals. did you say it's coming did out you of say that it just hang on careless. hang on did you say it's not honorable it's out of carelessness no, it's not admirable it's not coming admirable. out of any well, high, high it ideals is, it is admirable ideas. it is admirable because you are trying to speak the truth and speaking the truth is hard it requires living in something and saying no i don't think i can quite I, I don't think the way I've seen this thing described the way I've read this thing being described the way I've heard this thing being described it doesn't satisfy me as the truth I'll have to try and put my finger on it and that's that well you know it doesn't have to be admirable if you're yeah. hungry you, there sometimes are the truth is surreal sometimes the yeah. truth is Hobbes and Rousseau well that's true too awkwardly kissing too. naked from the waist but down this, and this is this yeah 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 I think that's hilarious now the other thing I was going to say is, for, I mean, firstly, I don't, I, you know, I'm not well. I, I don't know. Haven't read lots of indigenous authors, so me saying, tell me another indigenous author like this. Maybe there are plenty of them, but one of the things, and this, I don't know whether you'll like this or not, but this reminds of the, that passage and what we're talking about about the way you're writing mm. actually reminds me of the art of Lynn Onus, which is a kind of brilliantly, exactly. a, yep. a brilliantly uh, 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 some kind of inhabiting this space between mm. these two cultures mm. in a way that is your own. Um, and um, yeah, you, you'll find it. Uh, you, you'll find it all through the arts, this this kind of yeah. cheekiness yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, you, that you're yeah. referring to. And the, yeah. it just hasn't come through in literature yet. Yeah, I, I think you, that Like might I be said, right. it's in the discourse yeah. around every single kitchen table. There's always at yeah. least one person yeah. who's the cheeky one, and that's the one yeah. that just... You know what I mean? Is it's just I do, I and, do and know it's exactly. It's there, what you mean. and I guess, and I guess this opens. I, I you know, I don't know. I, I would like to see more of those people um, having their work out there in whatever the the medium is. But usually, yeah. usually that's in oral form, and when people are doing it, and you can see some of our comedians do it and uh, verbally, orally, like yeah. incredibly yeah. funny stuff out there. Great indigenous comedy. Um, yeah. You know, and so you see it a lot in comedy, but you see it in a few different art forms, and and you know yeah, may, maybe yeah. it'll start it'll start coming out in books as well because I think well, I think there's a yeah, hung, hunger for it. There's a place. Well, for it. there's a hunger for it, and I think it might be, you know, it might be a form that has a lot of influence outside of the Aboriginal community, mm. um, because if you paint something, well, a painting doesn't tell people oh this means i shouldn't have done that last wednesday mm. or i think i'm going to do this thing differently it's in a different 
it's in a different register in a different realm. Whereas mm. writing this stuff is, I can certainly relate to the European side of what you're writing about, the way in which we are drenched in cliches and sentimentality, the way in which the no one would ever want us to think in Australia uh, because they'd like us to say things that remind them of what the last person they watched on TV said, mm. rather than say something somewhat differently, rather mm. than take the time to say, hang on a minute, I've been walking around, looking around, and the way we're talking about that isn't quite what happens. Let yeah. me tell you what I think is happening. Um, now, you're adding humour to that in a fantastic mm. way as well. So uh it is, I just, it's, it's, you just made me think about it and it, it could be a bit trickier than that for other indigenous people to do because you know most of us are dignified people who yeah. are firmly firmly grounded in our identity and our being in a more yeah. dignified age and looking yes. forward yeah. and trying to have yeah. some continuity between that and the dignified age that we're working towards to make sure that that comes as well most of us are living in that dignity and there is a kind of a nobility to that there dignity the but there's also the humor but there's a, but that's why i think you're there, there is that humor but there's still there's still dignity to it i don't know but for me yeah. I, I consider myself to be like an undignified person uh, who is the product of an undignified age and um and while I feel I feel a lot of nostalgia and a lot of connection to that age of dignity, and I feel a longing yeah. for that, I, I know that yeah. it's not it's I can't, I just yeah. don't I don't have that. And I've done I've spent too much time in, in just horrendous indignity to to ever even know how to be dignified again. I have no but, idea. But Tyson, but I have no Tyson, idea how I would say, ever recover any kind of self respect well, or anything I, like that. I tell you precisely. I so, tell you precisely. I'll tell you precisely. I'm able to go to those are... places where, where you know, others yeah, can't go yeah. for shame. Shame would prevent people yeah. going to the places that I go. Yeah, to. but hang on a minute. But but that's where I want. <clears throat> you you put this thing up on the chat thing. What you just read to me, and your relationship with dignity. You're being prepared to live in what you're thinking of as indignity is surely mourning the end to celebrate the beginning. That must be what it is. Uh... It is. It, it is, that's what it is. It is to speak the truth, to then be able to start from the truth, not from fucking bullshit, not from cliches. Well, that was supposed to be a joke, but there's some truth in that joke, Nicholas. No, well, but, but jokes deal with these, these, di di these dialectical realities yeah. in our lives. Yeah, there's this idea that, every, that every joke is an in-joke, that it's something that we share. I think we've talked about that before. Well, it is. It is. And that's joke. the risk when you put it out there. You've got to hope to hell that that other person actually understands. Well, what you're or they about make their own. You have a shared understanding around. Well, that. okay, but it may, it's but, not going to land. But, but the joke, but the joke of the joke is that we can't understand. That's what's funny. That that mm. that that we actually are participating, imagining we're understanding things, and then. Yeah. The joke shows us that we actually are not understanding. Well, that's the discovery. So yeah, that's the discovery yeah, part of the joke. But it goes round and round. And that particularly it goes comes in the taglines after the punchline. You yeah. can riff, riff yeah, on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I just, I, I, think, I think we're onto something. The worst I joked I about so. calling it um, Yonka Portic dialectic before the, I mean, mm, something I know no, is no, true. No. Something I know to be well, true you can is say that, that, the minute, that the minute you give something a name, that's it. It's over. It's finished. It's ruined. Well, 
It's great for marketing. If you, exactly. <laughs> Once you give it a name, it's marketable. Once it's marketable, well, it's well, finished. Well, you can say, you know, like I, I can imagine you putting on a show and you can say, uh, well, Space Cadets, it's time to get out of your teleporter and get into your Yunker porter. What do you hey. reckon? Hey. <laughs> hey. We could, we could uh, do all these things. I, I do. I keep, uh, I, I, I've been doing a, a personal joke. In all of the invitations I send you to these yarns, I, I go um, um, uh, grew porter. What's that? I put grew and porter together. Oh, so I'm yeah. calling these yarns grew porter. Oh, I yarns. get you. Okay. Grew yeah. is um, grew is um, Latin for crane, for the bird crane, which is uh, what a brolga is. And the yeah. whole idea, Yanka porter is about it means brolga legs. Yeah. So I'm oh, does it? So I oh. mashed, mashed together the different parts of that word. So you're good. Well, you like frog as a head of venues, don't you? And, uh, and bastardized wick to uh, to make that happen, that little joke. It was, just, it was just an in joke for myself, that one. But there, now I've shared yeah, it with you and uh, and everyone yeah. else too. Yeah, It's, exactly. it's not, a, not a very good joke. Anyway, bros. Well, okay. Gruen, Nicholas Gru, Gruen, with your, your Latin brolga name there that's 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 a gross gross rubicundus is the is the oh, good. Sounds, good. sounds good sounds good particular one all right brad well that was uh that was a hell of a yarn that was that was fun yeah it was fun yeah, yeah it was it was good I do this one yeah, i don't absolutely. think you need to uh, edit it much either i actually learned editing recently so um i can actually oh good well um feel free to send me the the video because i can get it yeah, sort yeah. of chopped you up you can do your, right. do your thing with your uh your marketing and your tweet yeah, my marketing exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly i had it i had the, the very first one we did it got somebody chopped it up into about 20 little segments and i yeah i posted about four or five of them and then i got shy and i thought people are just gonna think i'm a absolute you know an absolute media yeah. uh tart uh but you know what the hell I don't have any large institutions behind me, so I've got to do the best I can. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Well, well, you know, we all, we all struggle. Hmm. Uh, trying to keep our heads above water and stop being and make yeah, sure we're not, exactly. we're not gambling. Exactly. Sometimes we just gamble exactly. whether we like it or not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay, right, Tyson, bros. great to talk. Okay. Catch you later. Bye. See ya.